New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. We're living longer, and this new longevity is not equivalent to an extension of old age, years added on at the end, but rather a period inserted in the life course. Our children have left home, we may be facing retirement, but we are not ready to sit back on our past laurels or to spend our time on the golf course or playing endless hands of bridge. We have gained wisdom and are endowed with health and energy. Our guest today, Dr. Mary Catherine Bateson, says, We have not only added years to the lives of people, we have changed the shape and meaning of a lifetime in ways we do not yet fully understand, opening up a new space, a second and different kind of adulthood that precedes old age, and as a result, every stage of life is undergoing change. As trustees for the future, what are the new roles elders will take on? Can they become the needed visionaries in our society? What can elders do with this unique combination of energy and knowledge? We'll be exploring these questions and more with our guest, Dr. Mary Catherine Bateson, was Clarence J. Robinson's professor in anthropology and English at George Mason University from 1987 to 2002, when she became Professor Emerita. She is a visiting scholar at the Center of Aging and Work-Workplace Flexibility at Boston College, and until recently was president of the Institute of Intercultural Studies in New York City. She is the author of many books and papers, including Composing a Life, With a Daughter's Eye, a memoir of Margaret Mead and Gregory Bateson, Willing to Learn Passages of Personal Discovery, and Composing a Further Life, the Age of Active Wisdom. Join us for the next hour as we explore the new possibilities of adulthood too, a whole new stage in the life cycle with our guest, Dr. Mary Catherine Bateson. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Mary Catherine, welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. I'd like to talk, first of all, about one of the major values in American culture, and that's a value of independence. And you well know and state in your book so eloquently um, that that's an illusion. In what way is that an illusion? Well, we depend 
in every day of our lives on other people, many of them invisible to us, uh, other living beings, um, the plants, the air, the oceans, uh, the notion that one can stand on one's own feet and not need anything from anyone is an illusion. And indeed, it's a dangerous illusion. It's precisely that attitude that makes people unwilling to change their habits into more sustainable habits uh, to live at peace with other species. When I first started getting interested in later adulthood and reading the literature, there's two things that you encounter when you read the literature. First of all, that it's all about deficits and problems of one sort or another, instead of being about potentials. And the other is that people keep saying, what I want is to be independent. I don't want to depend on anyone else, particularly my own children. That's not so true in other cultures of that course you've, it's you've not. looked at. Of course it's not. Well, but in, in many other cultures, um, there is a built-in understanding that each person having been cared for by parents in childhood will in later life uh, care for aging parents. Now, we in a sense have reframed that. That is, we tend to think that we, we pay our parents back for the care we received by caring for our own children. Right. Instead of doing... Right. By doing both of those things. We don't want to be a burden is, is a phrase that's often used. It's a very common phrase. We don't talk about children as a burden. Right. Uh, maybe in many ways, we need to be willing to carry more burdens for each other uh -huh. throughout the life cycle. Mary Catherine, you write, we have inserted a new developmental stage into the life cycle, a second stage of adulthood, not an extension tacked on to old age. You go on to say, I think we will need to think in terms of a first adult stage, we can call adulthood one, a very busy and productive time, which includes both our primary child-rearing years and the building of careers. And a new stage we can call adulthood two. Adulthood two may begin as early as age 40 and extend past 80 for many years of participation and contribution. Both as individuals and as a society, we are being taken by surprise by this change. Yet so far, most of the discussion focuses on its financial implications, not on its opportunities. So, I think of adulthood, too, as the stage of active wisdom which precedes old age. Mary Catherine, what do you mean by adulthood, too, using the Roman numeral, too? Let me back off for a minute okay, first. Sure. Um, throughout human history, 
at least three stages of the human life cycle have been identified. I mean, in every society, there's an understanding that there are some people who are too young to be full participants. Now, societies vary on when they move out of childhood into adulthood and become full participants. And in every society, there are some people whose reproductive years are over, uh, who are no longer doing various kinds of heavy work, um, who are generally grandparents or the age of grandparents, and who are regarded as very valuable because of their long memories. Now, most human societies consist of three generations. You know, the, the children, the grown-ups, and the elders. And there aren't very many elders, or there have not been yes. through history. They've been rare and treasured. Now, because of longer lives, we now live in a four-generation society, a society in which there are many living great-grandparents. And a lot of living grandparents, no longer a rare and treasured asset, And the grandparent generation is very different from what it was in the past because people used to age earlier. And we have ways of dealing with so many chronic conditions and so on that allow people to be active and engaged for longer than they were in the past. In fact, the, grand, the great-grandparent generation is in many ways more like the, in terms of physical condition, the grandparent generation in the past. Right. Uh, more, more like our own grandparents uh, of us, the generation in our 60s, 70s. We, we think of now the great-grandparents are more like what we experience as our grandparents. Exactly. Exactly. What, what about, um, Mary Catherine, what about ageism? Um, it's, it's not only a problem of people other than the el the elders or seniors it's it's part of the internal mechanism of all of us that we have our own built-in prejudice of ageism can you say something about well, that well it isn't built in we learned it yes that is to say when i was a child i was meeting people who were described as old, and hearing comments about them and encountering uh, characters in children's books that I read and so on. And we, we picked up, we all pick up in childhood, a set of expectations about the life cycle. And those expectations are now out of date. I mean, when someone says to me, as they do constantly, uh, someone will say to me, well, I'm 60 or 70 or 80 or 90. 
but I don't feel 60 or right. 70 or 80 or, or 90. Someone will say, oh, you don't look 70 or 80 or whatever. You don't look that. That also. But when someone says that, what they mean is, I've lived that number of years, but my experience doesn't match the stereotypes that I internalized mm -hmm. a good 50 years ago. Right, right. I know I was sitting, I was having my the oil changed in my car the other day, and I happened to be sitting between two people, a woman and a man who looked as if they were in their 80s. I'm, I'm pretty sure the man was. She may have been somewhere in her 70s. And um, the first thing out of his mouth when we kind of started a conversation was he said something like, uh, whoever said that um, these are the golden years in some kind of derogatory way, he was not very happy about being in the golden years and taking and they started talking back and forth in these cliches. I couldn't help but just kind of say, I'm reading this book. <laughs> <laughs> and the conversation uh, did take a different turn, which was uh, very fine for me. I, I love that. So um, I just um, I'm here with Dr. Mary Catherine Bateson. She's the author of Composing a Further Life, the Age of Active Wisdom. And uh, if you'd like to be in touch with her or in her schedule or her work, you can go to her website, marycatherinebateson.com. And Catherine is spelled with a C, C-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E, marycatherinebateson.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. My name is Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. with Dr. Mary Catherine Bateson, the author of Composing a Further Life, The Age of Active Wisdom. Mary Catherine, we're, we were talking about aging before, ageism before the uh, break, and um, so, and about internalizing that. You, you might have some further thoughts on that? Well, I do. You know, having lived through new, new wave feminism, uh, when women had to look at the stereotypes they had internalized and free themselves from them, I see the same process going on uh, with people in their 50s and 60s and even 70s um, where they make assumptions about themselves that may not be true. 
And if not about themselves, then about other people the same age. I had a, a much beloved godmother who moved into an assisted living. And when I went to visit her after she'd been there for a while, I asked her whether she'd made any friends. And she said to me, Oh, Catherine, everyone here is so deteriorated. And of course, they weren't any more deteriorated than she was. But she was more aware of herself even while she was see seeing other people through stereotypes. Right. And I worry a lot about people who make decisions, people who decide to retire when they may not have to, or decide to move to a new location, to a sunshine state, uh, or take up an occupation in, in retirement that might be fun for a year or two, but of course they may be alive for 30 more years. Yes. Um, because we have not adjusted our expectations. Let's, let's talk a, a little bit about that, that moving. And there is something very precious about, in my opinion, in, in the friendships that we make through our lifetime. And, and if we've been living in a place where we've made a lot of friends, they hold our history and to to really say, I'm going to move, and maybe we have to move, maybe financially it has to happen, but it can be very difficult to reestablish friendships. Uh, can you say something about that? Well, I agree very strongly with that. Uh, from my point of view, it's it's really important to ask whether the people you care about will be near you, or at least accessible, mm -hmm. uh, both for you to visit them and them to visit you. Uh, and that would include family and grandchildren, and it would include peers, contemporaries, friendships built up over the years. Um, you know, one of the ways in which we are not independent is that our friendships and our relationships are ways of reaffirming again and again who we are and how we connect with other people. In a sense, people who are closely, either as colleagues, family members, close friends, bring each other into being yes. and sustain each other in, in being a particular kind of person. And to think that climate is more important right. than human relationships it seems not, to me a terrible mistake. It may not be so visible what you're saying, but it is a strong reality that, 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 that we are held. Absolutely. And just in passing, because I think a great many relationships, marriages, uh, go through a very difficult transition at the beginning of adulthood, too, uh, because both partners will have been so busy 
for the last mm -hmm. 20 or 30 years and suddenly have more time on their hands and look at each other and say, are we strangers? I th think inevitably there are going to be, and we were already observing this, uh, substantial numbers of divorces that happen around the beginning of adulthood too. Because adulthood too is a sufficient change so that your relationships have to be reconstructed and recreated. But the component of history is a very important component. Exactly, exactly. There's a um, paradigm in this culture that, that old people are a drag, they're obsolete, they're opinionated and flexible, and all of those those terms. And um, I ran across a, a um, piece of research that some people did with uh, elephants in Africa. And they were, they were concerned that they were culling the, the herds. So what they were doing, they were taking out the older females. And they noticed that the herds were not thriving. So I'm trying to equate like with the paradigm that that as we grow older, we're, we're more of a drag on society, but maybe there's something else that wants to happen. Like you, you mentioned um, active wisdom, and maybe you can say something about that. Well, let me just take a minute with the elephants. Please. Uh, because I think it's always interesting to ask the Darwinian question. That is, what is there about a particular characteristic of human beings uh, that has made, that has facilitated survival of those that had that characteristic, that has facilitated natural selection? And because natural selection depends on preserving genetic information, it's, uh, it's quite common for people to say, well, if you're not breeding anymore, you're no use to the species. Uh, but in fact, for species that live in communities, social animals, elephants live in herds, um, uh, they're herds or flocks of deer, and so on. Uh, in variable environments, uh, it's been established that the presence of post-reductive, post-reproductive members is a factor for survival. And with deer, for instance, it's the females. Because that, you know, the stags are all off fighting each other in, uh, every spring. And it's the females, the post-reproductive females, the does, who are the ones that know where to f get food in a winter of deep snow, where to find water in a time of drought. And therefore, their presence in a community that's generally interrelated, of course, over many generations, uh, enhances the survival of the younger members of the community including the newborns. And this is referred to as inclusive fitness. Ah. Uh, it's not just the, the fitness of a particular parent and a particular 
offspring. It is the fitness that affects the entire community. And when you think about it, it's that kind of fitness that is critical for human beings. Well, in in lieu of that, like we are putting our older our elders in in homes or 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 they're going into retirement homes that are just with their kind and not having there's not a great mechanism in our society for interaction between the generations. What can be done about that or should anything be done about that? I think lots needs to be done. And there are many levels at which we need to be thinking about it. On the whole, age segregation, like other forms of segregation, is a bad thing. Uh, If you are starting a, a company, I would suggest that you bring in, early on, people with different backgrounds, males and females, and people of different ages, because people of different ages have grown up in different cultural settings and are likely to see different aspects of any question that has to be considered. It's not what usually happens when a new company is formed. You get a group of buddies that have been working together and their age mates, and they're all going to get old at the same time. (laughs) Uh, This is what's happening with NASA, for instance, that with government agencies Uh that get formed at a particular moment in time, and then the crisis of retirement is likely to hit a lot of people in a very short space of years. The EPA has the same problem, that that these um, agencies don't have a normal human age distribution in them, both to ensure continuity and to ensure the presence of, of alternative ways of seeing things. Now, when you oh, when you say that, I I'm reminded of one of your precepts that you mentioned several times in the book, and that's um, it has to do with wisdom, has to do with listening, listening. And so, when you say about all these different generations maybe being together, that might be something that's preferable for the health of an organization or community. Um, also, with that, we have to have some ability for deep listening. It's not just bringing the ages together. So can you say something about that? Not only do we need a potential for listening, we need to invite people to say things to us. Um, as a child, I used to say to my father, who was an anthropologist but grew up in natural history, I used to say to him, Daddy, teach me something. And it would be a bit of natural history or biology, usually, that he would then explain. But this is what we need to say to our children. And I think... 
one of the ways in which you persuade others to listen to what you have to say is by inviting them to teach you something and listening and commenting intelligently so that the process of teaching becomes an interactive process. Yes. We'll talk more about this in just one moment. I'm here with Mary Catherine Bateson. She's the author of Composing a Further Life, The Age of Active Wisdom. My name is Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Dr. Mary Catherine Bateson, and we're talking about adulthood, too. Mary Catherine, we're talking about generations and generations coming together. And I, I would love for you to, to embellish on that, because it's how do we facilitate that? How is it going to happen? How can it happen? And does it do young people even want to be with older people or vice versa? Well, at the moment, they don't particularly because there's so many stereotypes keeping them apart. Uh, we have to get beyond the stereotypes. You know, every one of the liberation movements of the 20th century has involved a group of people who were marginalized themselves recovering from the prejudices and stereotypes because of which they were marginalized, which they had internalized. We have all sorts of habits that are based on the assumption that old people don't want to be with, with young people because they're noisy or whatever, uh, and that young people don't want to be with old people because they're boring. and give too much advice. Okay, so I'm 70. So how do I manage not to be boring? Ah. Well, the same way, of course, that I learned as a young girl, you can always make someone think you're brilliant by asking them questions, <laughs> as we were taught to do. Uh, but there's a caveat. It's important also to listen and think about the answers. And then you're in a conversation. And in so many ways, you know, we've forgotten how to have conversations in this society. Uh, because there's always some electronic stuff coming in. So that's a great part of it, is to work on having conversations, both the kind of conversations that were critical to the women's movement, to the civil rights movement, to gay liberation, of people saying, well, what is it I want? And 
what do I think I my potentials are? And where can we go with this? To have those conversations. And then have the conversations with each other in which learning is going in two directions. Mm-hmm. Sometimes older people think that they're the only ones with wisdom. Often, younger people, children, don't realize how much they teach their parents. You know, human infants are born with the capacity to turn two rather incompetent, bumbling adults into a father and a mother. (laughs) (laughs) They really do. They train them. They do train them. They train them. Um, And and when you're raising a child, you're relearning that child from week to week to week. You pay attention. Well, so we have to change our style of paying attention, which is blocked by stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have to change it in both directions. How if, if say, we're an elder... We're, we're in our 60s, 70s, or even 80s, and we would or like... Or 90s. Or 90s, 90s. I, my aunt is, is boarding on 90, and she's very bright and, and healthy and, and having uh, these kinds of conversations. But what, how can we incorporate... What, what suggestions do you have to incorporate younger people when we're not really so much in touch with them, except maybe in our own families, our own uh, grandchildren or so forth, but we're not really in touch with young people. How, how can we start that conversation? You know, I used to have a, a little riff that I'd give um, about the concept of quality time. Uh, one of the things when a lot of women were take employed outside the home, what they were told was that they should make sure to have quality time with their children. And, and then so they would try to create the moments of quality time, and you, you sit this poor child down and <laughs> said, now we're going to have some quality time. <laughs> and one of the things that I realized as a parent is there are the moments of quality time where it's I-thou. You're looking into each other's eyes, just as there are in other kinds of human relationships. But there's also quality time that is we. We're hand in hand, Mm -hmm. and we're looking together in another direction at a common interest, at a cause that is important to us. And you're not looking into each other's eyes. Mm -hmm. You're working together or traveling together. And I noticed this really first very clearly when I was taking my daughter to look at colleges. 
and we'd be driving in the car after visiting a college, and we're both sort of looking at the road. We're not looking into each other's eyes, uh, but we would be talking about the college and then that we just visited. And she would learn from my comments about the college, against the background of a, of a lifetime of college teaching, and I would learn from her comments what was important to her. But it wasn't phrased as trading confidences, as looking deeply into each right. other's eyes. In other words, what I'm trying to say is that the way to form relationships is very often in relation to some third issue. I think one of the, the great moments in the relationship between a mother and a daughter is when they confer about why is the baby crying. Yes. Um, but these things happen when you're designing a garden right. or on a building project, uh, fishing. The fathers and sons going out into the woods together. Um, and so I think that the issue of intergenerational communication is best served when older people are engaged on issues that younger people are also engaged on. The environmental movement is a wonderful example of that. Um, it was so interesting, you know, when uh, Obama was bringing so many people into involvement in politics and using the slogan of hope as if hope were characteristic of the young. But hope is also a characteristic of people as they get older. Different nuances, different emphases, right. but they hope for grandchildren or they hope for a peaceful and just world for the next generation to grow up in. Uh, or perhaps they hope for heaven. There are many different yes. layers of hope. And it's the interaction between our hopes that is yes. so exciting. Yes. And I, I, I have to say, because I, I wished Obama would talk more about hope as something that was not limited to the young, but the, the symbolism of having a grandma in the White House, I think, is wonderful. Oh, boy, I, I agree with you on that. And that just uh, takes us to the idea of there's uh, millions, millions of people coming into this adulthood two stage and where they have energy, wisdom, enthusiasm. It's a huge uh, political block in some ways. I mean, I don't know if, I mean, we're not all agreeing on the, the way to carry that out, but can you say something about that? Well, we have a problem, which is that politicians are apparently, or political consultants, are ageist. They're all convinced 
that the only way to talk to anyone over the age of 50 is about entitlements, Social Security, Medicare, prescription drug coverage, and whatever else may develop over time. And this is not true. In fact, it's demeaning. And yet, it comes up again and again. And if you look at the process of polling, you know, if you, you know, I get these calls on the telephone. Will I answer a set of poll questions? I don't always stay on the phone. But if you've ever done that, um, you will find that the, the poll generally has a batch of demographic questions you know, gender, age, uh, income level, education level at the beginning. And then it has a, a group of opinion questions. And the secret of polling is to work out the cross correlations between age, gender, income, etc., and particular opinions. So presumably all the factors that the pollers, pollsters, think are important are included in the initial questions. They certainly ask about age. But you know, usually age is either recorded or on questionnaires asked in terms of age ranges mm -hmm. that are 15 or 20 years deep. Right. And then the last question is over 60. <laughs> which, of course, is the largest number of responses yeah. they're likely to have. But the assumption that everyone over 60 is the same, or over 65 sometimes, is simply nonsense. So that differentiation is not there, which means the information is not there for the people deciding what to say. Then there will be a question, generally speaking, is there a member of your household under 18? We're going to have to pause right in that one. Is there a member of your household under 18? So we'll find out the next part of that in just one moment. I'm here with Mary Catherine Bateson, author of Composing a Further Life, The Age of Active Wisdom. My name is Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Dr. 
Mary Catherine Bateson, and she's the author of many, many books, including her newest one, Composing a Further Life, The Age of Active Wisdom. Mary Catherine, we were talking about pollsters, and you were talking about the age range that they ask questions about. And I was saying that they will ask whether you have a young person in your household, but they don't normally ask, have you ever had a child? Or do you have a grandchild? And yet, for instance, at a time when the nation is at war, someone might be thinking about the possibility that a son or daughter in their mid-twenties is likely to arrive on a battlefield. Yes. That's going to affect political opinions, you can be sure. But they don't ask that. And I've never been able to find, until we did it, this group I was working with, um, until we commissioned a poll that asked people whether they had grandchildren and whether the fu- futures of their grandchildren were a factor in their voting. And of course they are. Of course they are. You see, part of what happens, I think, and I think this, is, um, this has come out in a lot of psychological studies, is that as people get older, their time perspective gets longer, both in terms of the past and in terms of the future. They're not going from week to week unless they're in a very serious medical emergency. With a longer time perspective, your concern becomes broader also because you realize that an event on the other side of the planet that might have no effect on you this week may have long-term results over a decade. And a lot of things you used to care about don't matter anymore. Trivialities, you lay them aside. In many ways, one of the most important changes is that many people acquire a greater tolerance for ambiguity. Instead of just making a quick judgment, this is right, that's wrong, this is good, this is evil, they begin to see that there are ambiguities, that they should pay attention to context and circumstance. It makes people more tolerant. Now, some of this, I think, is because as you get older, you may get out of some of the extreme busyness of the middle years and have more time to reflect. Mm -hmm. So that I found in the people that I was interviewing, people that looked back and weren't happy with the way they had treated others earlier in their lives, and we're trying to be a different kind of person. I found people who'd taken up meditation or begun to search for a personal spiritual practice of some sort. One of the things that you have to do, you know your time is limited and your energy is limited, is make choices. And this leads you to say, What are my priorities? What do I care about most? 
what are the, the, the truths that I wish to serve with the time that remains for me? All of that, I think, is related to wisdom. And it's a reason why I would wish that people in adulthood too would engage in public debate remind politicians of the terrible consequences of short-term decisions, push people to think beyond next year's budget um, and next year's election and next quarter's quarterly report. And you know, of course, the AARP sends out a letter uh, to everyone at age 50. Well, very soon they will be claiming more than half of the population as part of their constituency. The AARP has done wonderful things uh, for the benefit of aging Americans and whose conditions were pretty bad half a century ago. Uh, but what I would like to see is older adults in this country organizing and saying, we need to think ahead. We need to advocate for the future. We need to be trustees for our grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren in a just, peaceful, and sustainable world. I'm reminded of a group that is close to my hometown. Uh, it's um, that gets together. It's called an elder salon. And it's just an informal, it just, you know, just started, one person said, I'd like to do this, and she put out a email to others, and others joined, and now they, they meet uh, once, I think they meet once a month, and then they meet weekly for a kind of drop-in coffee at a, a local coffee shop. And, and so that's kind of drop in weekly and more informal. And then they have this formal circle. And when you're talking about this, about how we can be the, like, the largest part of the population, how we can get together and can start to have these deep conversations. Do you have any comment on that? I think it's out of conversation that the conviction comes to take action. I think that we all have some ageism that we have to get rid of. And we can help each other to arrive at ways of focusing about what we care about most. And it's there, you know, you choose, this is where I want to put my time. And it may be that some cause that I worked for very hard in the past that I still sympathize with is not what I care about most at this time in my life. So I may want to withdraw from some involvements and re-engage in some others using my experience as skillfully as possible. We get so many disempowering, disabling messages from the environment. 
that we need to get together in order to rediscover the role that we can play in society and our continuing passions and how we want to act on them. Are you uh, optimistic about the future, Mary Catherine? I guess I would say yes and no. I do think that the presence of increasing number of people who have lived through many years is one of the positive signs for the future. I think we should all remember that at the beginning of the environmental movement, the people that wanted to dismiss it all said, nobody cares about birds or about the environment except little old ladies in tennis shoes. So for a while I've been thinking, when I grow up, I'm going to be a little old lady in tennis shoes and try and call people's attention to what we need to guard and hold on to and nourish and build in the world we live in. And the way to start that is much as we did in the 60s and 70s, is to build groups of friends who work towards a common understanding of what it means to be 70 or 80 and what the potentials and freedoms are and then may undertake some project or spread out and start new groups. And to do that together so you're not, it's not like an individual trying to do it. We, we can call in the troops, so to speak, call in the friends. There are, there are many of us. What I have in mind is more like what the Grey Panthers were doing than, than like what the AR, AARP has primarily been doing. Uh, but the Grey Panthers have still exist in some places, but it's not terribly active. But, okay, restart the Grey Panthers. Right. Uh, what about the Raging Grannies? The possibility of, of, uh, of protesting against a war. A lot of us marched in demonstrations back in the day because we were concerned about issues of social justice and peace. And we need to do that again. We need to re-engage, make our voices heard, clear off some of the stuff we've accumulated over the years and focus on what we care about the most. Mary Catherine, it's just been a pleasure having you with us today. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you. I've been speaking with Dr. Mary Catherine Bateson. She's the author of Composing a Further Life, The Age of Active Wisdom. And if you'd like to be uh, know about her schedule and, and her work, you can go to her website, MaryCatherineBateson.com, and Catherine is spelled with a C, C-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, NewDimensions.org. My name is Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. 
This is program number 3382. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions. Thank you.